Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. That's awesome. Well, I want to welcome everyone. Um, Super, super honored to have you guys. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalms 27 tonight. Psalms 27. It's one of my favorite psalms. Um, Probably one that many of you are familiar with. We're going to walk through Psalms 27. But before we do, I want to review last week. Last week we talked about the little hinge. Do you remember what the little hinge is? The little hinge is Thanksgiving. And we looked at three specific, three specific uh, accounts of the power of thanksgiving. Um, the first was David, when David became king and he assigned Asaph. Uh, David established David's tabernacle, which was a 24-7 uh, worship sanctuary on the earth. What he did was unprecedented. It was really remarkable what he established in building his tent. A lot of people don't know that his tent was different than uh, Moses's. Moses's tabernacle, we're very familiar with the outer inner and holiest of holies, outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. But David was just one giant room, his tent, uh, where he gathered singers and musicians around uh, the ark and they sang day and night uh, for 33 years. It was just this cool thing. So we, we looked at that last week, but Asaph in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse seven was assigned by David and uh, he was assigned to give thanks. Um, <clears throat> then, on that, then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relative to give thanks. So they were just assigned to give thanks, and it was this little hinge that opened up a big door for the nation of Israel. Uh, they would sit and thank the Lord, praise the Lord, again for 33 years. And really, Israel has never been as influential as it was under the realm and reign of David. Um, David was, is a Messiah-like figure, and Jesus sits upon his throne. But I think one of the keys... Uh, to David's rule in his reign is he understood how to approach the Lord rightly and he understood how to host the Lord rightly. Um, And and we're going to look at Psalms 27, which I think is a a blueprint or a manual tonight uh, where you really get to see that. Uh, But Asaph gave thanks and through that little hinge, a big door opened and the blessing came. And then we looked at Romans chapter 1 verse 21. Um, This is the negative impact of people that are ungrateful and not giving thanks. Because uh, it says, for even though they knew God, uh, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. Uh, and this is a big, 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 big text. This is a hinge text because, because they did not give them thanks, a number of things happened. So they knew God, they did, not, they did not acknowledge God, they did not honor God, and they did not give God thanks. And because of that, it did something in their hearts, and it closed their hearts off to God, but it opened their hearts up to a litany of other things. And, uh, and there's a list that I mentioned last week of all of these things are mentioned after this scripture. So... So thanksgiving is a hinge. When it's used, it opens up the door for blessing. But when it's not, and we become accustomed to, we become too familiar with, uh, we get stuck in tradition and religion. When we do not rightly respond to who God is for our sake, it's for our sake that our hearts get 
turned off, and then these things ensue. And this is just about everything that's ever been wrong with anyone at any time. I mean, it is a, it is a hearty list. And, uh, and so I was in Oak Lawn. We launched in Oak Lawn. I told you all this story last week. I didn't have a heart for Oak Lawn. Oak Lawn is a church planning graveyard. There were so many weird things going on in Oak Lawn. I just, I just didn't, I, it wasn't like the place where I wanted to go. I certainly didn't want to want to move down there, and so reluctantly we did all those things, and I was reading this text, and I decided instead of trying to convert and transform Oaklawn and the people of Oaklawn, I would just go down and gather people, and we would use this little hinge, and we would honor the Lord, and we would give him thanks, and this has ensued from that place. You're here tonight because of that little hinge. If your life has been touched at all by the upper room. It's been touched because of this little hinge. It was my only hope. It was my only like thing I could think of practically to do when, when the guy next door to us would dress up as, as, a, as a woman every night and walk the streets of Oak Lawn and drag. When, I mean, I can just tell you story after story after story. And I became desperate because I wasn't familiar with that terrain. But what I'm afraid of is that we become very familiar with our surroundings. We become familiar with the evil that we're around. And our hearts grow cold, grow numb. And the first thing to go is this activity. It's to give thanks. So we looked at Asaph. We looked at Romans chapter 1. And then, and then I had this big aha in Revelation 4, it's one of my favorite scriptures. Revelation can be really hard to, to digest, man, when you get the four, living, uh, the four living creatures, the harlot, the beast, and the guy with the ten horns and all that stuff. But Revelation 4 and 5 are very, very, in my eyes, uh, easy to digest because it is, it is the eternal sanctuary where God dwells. And when we pray, we're actually in Revelation 4 and 5. It says our prayers enter into that that realm, their incense, they materialize, which is powerful, so powerful. If you think about any prayer you've ever prayed, it manifests itself in Revelation 5. Any prayer you've ever prayed, if you've prayed a Hail Mary prayer, if you've prayed like for an hour, anything that you have done in communicating to the Lord, there's a bowl in heaven, and it says that it turns into incense before the Lord. Meaning our prayers are his fragrance. Come on, and that's, that's new. Some of you haven't thought of that before. <laughs> You're in Revelation 5. And, you know, we're called to bring heaven to earth. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, let thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a prayer and it's a life that we live. But we need to understand like, what's happening in heaven in order to bring it to earth. And one of the things in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, so we said thanksgiving should be the power of thanksgiving, the hinge that opened for David, the hinge that was closed in Romans chapter 1. But I love, I love uh, Revelation chapter 4, um, verse 9. It says, <clears throat> this is after the living creatures who do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the next verse. It says, and when the living creatures, so when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks. So here's that hinge in heaven. They're giving glory, honor, and thanks to the Lord. 
perpetually unending because it's the most natural response to him when you see him rightly. They're not forced to do it. They're not like wired so that, oh, you're, you're just going to sit here and, you know, you're just going to bang this drum. Thank you, 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 thank you. That's not how they're wired. It's, it's a heart response. It is, it, is, it is a relational response to the one that they're in front of. And our, our response, our response needs to line up with that. And you don't always feel like doing that. That's the problem. It's not always convenient to do it. And oftentimes the church doesn't set you up to do it. The church has become so consumeristic that it's really about what we can do for you, not what we can do for him. But the Lord's flipping the table on that. He's flipping the script. Services are going to get longer. It's just true. They are. I was talking to a brother the other day that's a lead in the church, and he's cutting his service. I'm not going to get into it, but it, it just, it's, it, I, it's convicting how consumeristic and people-oriented we've become. We're driven by that. We have strategies. And, hey, truth is, there's proof in the pudding they work. But my, my, my concern is that, is that we're hindering the bride from entering in, from growing in stature and maturity for the sake of, for the, sake of the lost. But, but I don't believe tonight we're gathering in this room for the lost. We're gathering as the church. And we're gathering, we're gathering to minister to him first and foremost, and then secondly, to equip you. And then third, the ministry that you do out there should be for the lost. I'm not saying people aren't going to get saved in here, but this just isn't going to be like seeker friendly. Yeah. It's not going to be religious friendly either. Yeah. Right. It, more, so, more so that. <laughs> I'm really happy tonight. I just feel a real like, I feel like I want to take it somewhere. But I, it's just not going to be happy. We're just, Yeah. So Revelation 4, they're responding with thanksgiving. They're responding with honor. And it's this hinge again. It opens up and man, that's heaven. So, um, so with that, thanksgiving, the power of thanksgiving and the power of praise. Uh, it, it's a journey because it says we enter his gates. So gates are external. Gates are, gates are external. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. So thanksgiving is a form of praise, but praise can look a, a lot of different ways. Um, but then ultimately, ultimately it's unto blessing his name. If you read Psalms 100, it's the prescription for approaching the Lord rightly. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, and it says bless his name. And I actually think blessing his name is worship. Because worship defined for us as a community, this is, this is going to be a little teachy, um, but worship defined for us as a community is agreeing with who God is. Everyone say this, uh, agreeing with who he is. That's worship. That's worship. So, so one of the things that we did during worship tonight is we halted the plan and we really honed in on, on who he is, that, that he's the God of life. That's, that's who we were worshiping. We, we were singing it in the form of intercession because it's what he does. He brings the dead to life. But it was also... The worship component to that is that he is life. God is life. And because God is life, God brings the dead to life. So, 
So both are found in these two definitions because worship is agreeing with who he is and then intercession is agreeing with what he wants to do. Does that make sense? Okay, that, those definitions are really important for Psalms 27. So flip over to Psalms 27. Love me some Psalms 27. You bring the dead to life. Um, <clears throat> Psalms 27, very famous psalm. In verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now, I want to stop with the, with the definition that we put up there. Uh, worship is agreeing with who he is. Intercession is agreeing with what he'll do. This first verse fits into what category? Let me read it again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. So is this, does this fit into one of those definitions? Which definition does it fit into? It fits into worship. I look for, whenever I'm studying the Bible, I look for words wherever it says the Lord is. I know whatever that next phrase is, is an opportunity for me to worship the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is holy. The Lord is righteous. And, and, and honestly, the, the, the good news is, is that he is those things whether I believe it or not. Like tonight, the Lord is light and the Lord is salvation. Whether you, whether you believe it or not, it's true. And, and oftentimes, whether we feel it, whether we're seeing it, worship puts us in a posture of faith. Because the just, we don't walk by feeling, we don't walk by uh, logic, reason. The just walk by what? Faith. And our primary, our primary faith, the good fight of faith, the primary focus of our faith, if, just making it simple, the primary focus of our faith is in who the Lord is. So one of the greatest ways to build our faith up is to worship, agreeing with who he is. A lot of the songs that we sing aren't worship songs. We'll classify them as worship songs, but a lot of them have to do with what he's, what he's going to do for me. And we call it worship. But that's not worship. Worship, there's a difference in me singing, break every chain, break every chain. That, that's what's something he would do versus me declaring Jesus is my deliverer. There's a difference between those two things. One of me is declaring what he'll do. It's less impersonal. But when I'm saying you're my deliverer, I'm telling him who he is. And it's not for her, his sake that I'm saying that. It's for mine because it does something to my heart. And so David, David's in a bind in Psalms 27. They don't know exactly what bind he was in. Uh, some think it was Absalom was uh, about to, uh, in total rebellion, attempting to usurp him and uh, and they were at civil war and he was going to take over the kingdom. Uh, some think there was this big bad Mamba Jamba giant that was going to kill him in First Chronicles. I think it's like 26. 
Um, and it was actually the last battle that David would fight in because I think the dude could have taken him out, but God spared him. And then the nation of Israel said, you're not going to the battlefield anymore because you're too old. And so some think he wrote this psalm after that. We don't know uh, when he wrote it, uh, but we do know the circumstance surrounding him pinning this psalm is that David was in a bind. Something was going on. And so he starts this this psalm out, and he says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And I was just meditating on this. I was like declaring it over myself, and, and I felt like what David was saying is he's, he's, before he gets into what he's going through, he's making this pronouncement. It's like a canopy over everything he's about to say. He's like, I honed in on this, and this was the result. I honed in on, Lord, you're my light. He must have been in a dark place, and he declared in his dark place, Lord, you're my light. And I think of scriptures like, the Lord is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And I think about him going, Lord, you're going to light my path, and along my path, you're my salvation. Whatever I find on this path, you'll save me from it. Like, work it up in your heart. Like, Lord, you're the light. You're my salvation. You're my eyes, and you're my deliverer. You're, like, like he's working. I just see him like, I know it's just a line, but this line I feel is so weighty to who David is. This is a form of worship. And he's declaring over himself, whom shall I fear? And I imagine he had something to fear when he was pinning this. He's building himself up. And he's like, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And I felt as I was praying, I want to address some things that I felt like people were dreading. I feel like the enemy is lying to some of you about your health and that there's this impending diagnosis that's coming. I, it was like so clear to me. I felt uh, this, this subtle, familiar fear that some are carrying about their health. And it may be something that the Lord healed you of that you're afraid is going to come back. Or it's hereditary and it's something that you think you're going to receive. But I just saw this familiar fear that has brought dread to you. And I felt like the Lord was like roaring over you. I'm the defense of your life. I'm your salvation. I'm your light. Like I felt him, you cannot walk in dread any longer. You cannot dread the days ahead. You cannot fear what is to come. For I am your light, I am your salvation, and I am your defense. Woo! That's amazing. Get you worked up. And I felt like this was like, a, 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 it is a promise to you. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something. I don't know what it is, but I do know that this one verse trumps a lot in this room. This one verse, it's like, trump card. <laughs> I got all these cards. I've been dealt this bad hand. And the Lord's like, Psalms 27.1. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> Yeah, I know you can't laugh, but you need to, because it's true. It's true. It's true, man. It's like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know the pain. You don't know the hurt. You don't know what it took for him to become this truly for you. He went through a lot to declare. He proved this on the cross. Like, this is a big, bold, bad text. 
We can't just scream through it. We need to sit on it and go, oh, Jesus, you're my light. You're my eyes. It seems dark, but I know that you're going to light the way. And if I can't see yet, I will because I'm still alive and you're faithful to your word. That's what it means to stir your heart up. You know, it's like that, that voice needs to go. You've got to kickstart your heart. You've got to awaken yourself to these realities. Like fight the good fight of faith, man. This is what that looks like. Okay, so that's like, that's like the umbrella. All right? He's put, he's put himself under this covering. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. And then, and then the, 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 the heart of this psalm, the heart of this psalm, it, it, is, it is the heart of David. It's like this is the man after God's own heart. You're going to see his heart. Uh, it's the heart of our community. And I believe it should be the heart of every born-again believer. I believe this heart fulfills what Jesus said in Matthew 22. This scribe came up to him, and I think he was confused, tired, and worn out. And he said, I've read the law, I know the law, I know everything about the law. But Jesus, simplify this to me. Tell me, what's the greatest one? Maybe I just get one right. And Jesus turned it upside down when he laid out these two commandments. And we're so familiar with them. But for them, it was so revelatory that the first and greatest commandment would be to love God. Love God. And then love your brother as you love yourself. So, so loving God was not about loving people. Loving God was not about doing something for God. Loving God was truly loving God. And, and it says a number of things about God. It, it says to us the greatest command, or I like to think his greatest desire for us, is to receive our love to him. It says something about God. You look to you about what, oh, well, he's requiring me to love him. Well, I'm going to do a lot for him. No, 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 no. Don't miss the heart of this desire and command. He's saying the greatest thing you can do is love me. It says a lot about you before him. It says a lot about who you are in his eyes, that his greatest desire would be for you, little old you, that doesn't have it figured out, that's just kind of limping into the upper room tonight. Little old you, when you come and you're like, Lord, I love you, it moves his heart. It stirs him. Now, I know we do things for him. I know we want to honor him and, and be obedient and like live, live a righteous life and those types of things. But I believe that loving God is very intimate. It's very near. There's a connectivity to it. There's a heart connection. There's an emotional connection to this commandment. We need to get, uh, your emotions under the Holy Ghost are really powerful and right. There's an emotional response in that. And so David, David I think, is addressing what, what God revealed to him in this psalm that sums up the first commandment, and it's in verse 4. It's, again, this is, this is one of those texts that you're very, very familiar with, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to put a fresh just anointing on it. So he says, one thing. 
Everyone say one thing. One thing. I love one thing. It just means one thing. It's like, okay, I'm a simpleton. One thing. This is David's one thing. This is the one thing he has asked from the Lord. Now, this was the man after God's own heart. Fulfilled every purpose God had from his generation. The one thing. I want to be known like David. When I walk in, if I can be known as having a heart like David when I get into heaven, I'm, I'm okay with that. Even though he's in a lesser covenant, I, I, like what he, what he stewarded, what he stewarded, I know. But listen, what he stewarded, you're like, Miller, you need a higher bar. But what, what he stewarded, what David stewarded, though, in his dispensation, what, what, he, what he stewarded based on the revelation that he had, it was profound what he did. And I believe that this text is one of the reasons why, if not the reason why. And my prayer is that this text will become alive in your heart and start to consume you. But he says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So David is saying, I, the one desire of my heart is that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I, I want to know and behold who the Lord is. And he's saying this in trial. He's saying this in fire. He's saying this in a moment where it's not like, it's not like the greatest time to, to get lovey-dovey with God. But he's saying, I, this is the pursuit of my life in light of anything that's pursuing me. It's not going to take away from this one thing. Are you following me? I want to read you, uh, it's like a spoken word. I've only written one in my life, and this is it. <laughs> it was in the early days of the upper room, um, early, early days. Uh, we were still in Oakland, we were in the original upper room, and uh, a couple of the young adults that are over here, these guys, the Gamboas and Joel, they had this, they had this, they had this plan just to open up Friday nights for young people. Um, they just wanted to take Friday nights and offer an alternative to what their buddies were doing. And so we opened it up, and it was just, it was just really, like, messy and just a couple of us um, on Friday nights. Now, they stewarded that, and I think a couple of weeks, that Friday night, they have, like, 400 young adults in here at a prayer meeting, which is crazy. Think about that. that Y'all didn't respond well. 400 <laughs> young adults, millennials, millennials, those millennials that, that – you guys can't figure out. There are 400 of him burning for Jesus on Friday night. Crazy. All right, there we go. So that's my boy. So listen to this. So this is, this is my spoken word. I, I just like sat down and I was looking around and I just felt the, the spirit of the Lord and I took out a pen and I started writing. And this is what I wrote. But I think this describes the one thing. And, and this, especially the newcomers, you get to hear a lot about our community and like what we're going after. Um, so it's Friday night. 10.46 p.m., I'm surrounded by 30 young adults just sitting in a dark room where three brothers and one friend play music over us. They've sung one, <laughs> they've sung one chorus to one song in 45 minutes. <laughs> yet, 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 the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has been here since I walked in the room at 10.02. Since that time, 
I've had this one burning statement in my heart racing through my mind. It overwhelmed me as I knelt on the ground and closed my eyes. Over and over and over, all I could think and say was this. I'm here to meet with a man who has fire in his eyes. I'm here to meet with a man who has fire in his eyes. I'm looking for, I'm waiting on, I'm seeking tonight the man who has fire in his eyes. Hunger fills my soul. A deep longing awakens again. A depth in me begins to cry out this one cry. I want to see the man, the one with fire in his eyes. I have to see the man, the one with fire in his eyes. No desires greater, other passions wane. My perspective has changed and my soul has determined tonight I will meet with the man, the one who has fire in his eyes. As I looked around the room, more and more young people come staggering in throughout the room. Immediately, they follow suit. They lay on the ground, sitting in a chair, maybe acknowledging someone that they know, but they too are lost, sitting, laying, pacing. They too are here to meet the man with fire in his eyes. It's as if we're all sick with love, longing, hunger, desperation, zeal, are symptoms of hearts that have been stricken, wrecked, undone by this man, the man with fire in his eyes. How close can we get? How much can we see? What more is there to taste? Oh, have you met the man, the one with fire in his eyes? A growing race, a breed of believers, a burning people is arising now, all convinced that this pursuit, this desire, this call is all we know. It's all we, we want. In fact, it's all we have. He, the man, the one with fire in his eyes, has taken residence. He's chosen me, chosen us. He's desired to put that fire, the one in his eyes, inside of me. And he's desired to put that fire inside of you. It's a fire that consumes, a fire that refines. It's a fire that ruins. It's a fire that burns. It's a fire that marks. It's a fire that heals. It's a fire that overtakes. It's a fire that's never quenched. It's never put out. It's never snuffed. This fire only grows, this fire only spreads, and it's spreading now, and you'll know when you two declare, I'm here to meet again the man with fire in his eyes. It's Jesus. He's the most beautiful being. He's the most beautiful man. It's the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person you will ever encounter. There is no one like Jesus. There's no one like him. There's no one as good. There's no one as faithful. There's no one as steadfast. There's no one as committed. There's no one as forgiving. There's no one as merciful. There's no one as as. There's no one that believes in you more than him. There's no one that, that, whose affections, are, they're perfect for you. Like Jesus, there's absolutely no one like Jesus. And, 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 and his presence is himself. Like, like his presence is him. His presence is the one that we behold that, that reveals and unveils and helps us discover who this man is. And the more you taste, the more you want. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the lily in the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. Jesus is king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the alpha and omega. He's the creator and sustainer of all that is. He's the judge. And he's the savior. 
He's like the judge and the defense. Like, there's just no one like him, and he's perfect in everything that he does. He's perfect in all his ways. This one thing, it's this man, it's this man. If, if, if this doesn't provoke you, then, then, then I just, man, I, I'm like, check your, check your heart. Like, like, it's the Holy Spirit that testifies that this is true. This isn't just me saying it. This is, this is a reality that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us as a people collectively that we will go hard after this man that has fire in his eyes and his fire consumes us. It says his fire is an all-consuming fire, that his love is jealous, that his love is jealous, that his love, when you taste it, it's not just content with you tasting a little. The love is jealous. It's jealous to consume you. It's jealous to taste take over. And the only constraint is on our end. He's lavishing love. He's the most, I mean, he's just, when it comes to love and stewardship, there's no such thing. He's just given us way more. He doesn't like account it. Oh, you get this much and you get this much. No, it is, it is no height, no depth, no width, no length. The breadth of God's love we will attempt to explore for eternity and we will never exhaust it. It's inexhaustible. <laughs> Psalms 45, verse 3. Psalms 145, verse 3. It says that, it says that he, he is, his greatness is unsearchable. Think about that. But our plight and our, our assignment is to search out the unsearchable. It's, another word for unsearchable is exhaustible. It's to exhaust the inexhaustible. It's for eternity we're going to do this very thing. And I fall short of language and words. I'm sure there's men that do a much better job than I articulating this call. But it's like beyond words. It's beyond understanding. It's beyond knowledge because it is such a love thing in your heart. Ah! It's the one thing. It's what he's saying. One thing I ask. This is what I seek. I want that. All that I just said, David has tapped into it. And I, if Christianity is just a religion to you, I'm sorry. Whoever told you it's just a religion, whoever told you it's where you go to church, whoever told you that it's a set of beliefs, that you need to have the right boxes checked, whoever sold you something that's less than the man that I'm discussing tonight, I want to apologize to you because Christianity is all about the beauty and magnificence of this man, the man Jesus. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And for eternity, we will discover that. We will never grow tired of talking about and discovering new realms, new dimensions of the man Jesus. And so we, our little weak upper room offer, and I say that just because of who he is. I mean, it's actually really strong on the earth. But we do it morning, noon, and night. It's so much fun watching the unity and intimacy and us beholding and pursuing the man Jesus. And I believe it's what reformation is going to look like in the days ahead. That it's a lovesick bride that's dressed in white and righteous and standing before the king with the Holy Spirit saying, we're ready. We love you. And it provokes the Jews to jealousy. It's going to provoke the world. All right. I didn't even get past verse 4. 
So, so what I'm saying to you tonight, I, I want to I connect a dot for you. I just want to connect one dot. What I'm saying tonight, the implications of it, so the implications of you believing this and pursuing this, the implications of it are really significant in one part of your life. And it's the most important part of your life. But the implications, it doesn't affect your head, although you can grow in learning and understanding. Um, it's not about your head. Um, it's not about your body. This revelation, this revelation is about your heart. It's about your heart. And, and, and I, I'm a heart guy. Uh, one of the things the Lord did is he liberated me from a closed, shut-off heart. Like my heart got healed. And, um, and one of the desires I have is to help you get your heart open. My, my little Freeland, he was up here running around. You probably saw him. Uh, he's as cute as a button, man. He's got these blonde locks. He's just, he's, he, I just love him. Um, he has never met a stranger. We sit on the front porch. Someone walks by. Hey! You want to you come over? Like he's asked, come over. We had a plumber over the other day, and he, I, we heard talking. We go in, and Freeland is talking to the plumber, and this was the conversation. What's your name? Joe. Well, Joe, you want to be my friend? Yes. <laughs> Joe, you want to play Legos? Yes. Joe, do you like pizza? Yes. Joe, do you, I mean, he's just grilling Joe the plumber. And, and he's like, well, Joe's here. He's at my house. He must be here for me, you know? We go to places. I mean, free, his heart's just, he's going to say whatever he thinks. He's running around up here, and he's just afraid of nothing. His heart is just to the world. You may have a little kid, and, 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 and that's a lot of their hearts are just like this. I think Freeland's is, is just the way he's wired. It's really easy to see it. And guess what? Beloved, your heart when you were born on this earth was that way too. Our hearts, our hearts are just, we're open to life and the world. But there will be a day and there will be a time for my precious little Freeland. And, and as a father, I'm, 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 I'm looking for it and I'm going to father him through it. But there will be a time when life shows him you living with that open heart. It's a scary thing. It's a hurtful thing, and it's a painful thing. And Freeland's heart, which is like this, one day will go, <laughs> and he will shut down that heart that's open to everything. And in some ways, it's probably good, because it will protect him. But I believe when the Lord lives in our hearts, we, we, with redeemed and renewed hearts, we're to live with our hearts wide open. We weren't to live with our hearts shut and closed off. To the Lord first and foremost and to others. And the reason I'm talking about the heart on Psalms 27 is because in verse 3, David's going to mention the heart three times. And for time's sake, I'm not going to be able to get to all three. But, but he mentions the heart three times in Psalms 27. And in verse 3, so he says, The Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? He's the defense of my life. In verse 3, he says, Though a host encamp around me, my heart will not fear. So this is present reality. This word for encamp, it actually means that they were habitating around him. So it wasn't just like a war that was mounting. It was a war that he was in, and people were settling in around him. Are you following me? So it's a familiar enemy to him. 
But he says this, my heart will not fear, so my heart won't respond to them. And from him talking about his heart, he goes into this one thing. And here's what I've learned about the presence and beholding the beauty, is that when you get around people that are doing that, and when you get in an environment where the presence of God is moving in a room like this, it is diagnostic to your heart. You know the state of your heart when you get near the presence of the Lord. When the presence of the Lord is manifesting, when that one thing starts to manifest, you know the state of your heart. Others may not, but you do. Your heart's condition as a believer, your heart's condition can be diagnosed by the presence of God and your response to Him. Now for some of us, just revelation and understanding what that means. But... But, but the beauty is that the Holy Spirit, he, he doesn't just diagnose. The one who diagnoses is also the prescription. <laughs> he'll show you what's wrong and then he'll fix it. But David is saying, like, my heart's not going to be impacted by what's surrounding me because my heart has been so greatly impacted by the thing that I've given my heart to, the presence, the beauty, the Lord. So he says not only, you know, wars rising against him, and by that I'll be confident. It's this one thing, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, meditate in his temple. And then verse 5, it says, for in the day of trouble. We've talked a lot about the day of trouble, done a series on this, but this phrase is often in the Old Testament. It's like, for in the day of trouble. For in the day of trouble. And I don't know, I don't know what your day of trouble will look like, but you will have days in the future that will be marked by trouble. We as a house had a day of trouble uh, about seven weeks ago when we lost an elder. It was a phone call with his son on the other end of the line. His father was dead in the living room. It's a day of trouble. And the only thing that will sustain you in those moments, the only thing that will sustain you is your awareness of and ability to position your heart in this place. such an important revelation and I watched that family because of how it had been built still watching them in the midst of the storm they've built upon the rock and to watch their hearts I was with Danny last night at a youth conference and he was just there to receive he felt like the Lord had something Danny's one of the sons of the Lindsay's so um so he says secret place day of trouble um, verse, verse 6, my head will be lifted above my enemies. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing to the Lord. Um, and then he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. And then verse 8, he says, when you said, seek my face. What's that next word? My heart. So again, he talks about his heart. So when you said, so he's previously thinking back to a time where the Lord invited him to seek him. So he said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. So David's reflecting upon his history with the Lord, and in light of what he's going through, he's going, I made a covenant with you that I would seek your face no matter what I was faced with. And because I'm faced with this, I'm reflecting upon my history with you, and you said to seek your face. And in this, I'm remembering that conversation, and it's important right now because your face is what I'm going to seek in light of what's seeking me. So this is such a deep teaching, man. I really hope you can lay your teeth into it. It's such an important one for your heart, that your heart, your heart was the safest place for your heart, where it says the Lord is my defense or the defense of my life. It means he's a refuge, but the safest place 
for your heart is to find the Lord as that refuge. And when trouble comes, you know that you said, I'm already going to seek his face. So in the midst of what he's going through, he says, I'm going to behold the Lord. He reflects back on his covenant with the Lord. You said to seek my face. I'm going to seek your face. And he says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away for you've been my help. He's, again, he's reflecting on his history. And then verse 11, and I'm going to land it. Uh, verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of your foes. Do not deliver me over the desire of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and such as I breathe out violence. And then he's going to mention his heart one more time. Verse 13. I could talk about all those other things, but I'm just not for time's sake. He said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see your goodness because the Lord is good in the land of the living. Then he says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and what? Let your heart take courage. How's his heart taking courage? His heart's taking courage because of what is to come. What's to come? The goodness of the Lord. In what? The land of the living. So he looks, in the midst of what is, he looks back to what was, and then he looks ahead and he knows goodness is going to await him. Why? Because he's determined that he's going to behold the beauty of the Lord.